I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's good, everybody? We're coming to you on a Wednesday morning. Happy Wednesday. Hope everybody's geared up for this Philly game. If the Philly game goes ahead, they had their last game postponed due to COVID tracing. Didn't go their way. Will they play tonight? We will find out. I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Nunes. What's up, Brendan? Not much, man. Same old, same old, really. And I'm joined by, I cannot pronounce his surname. I should have asked before we started recording, but such is life. We're here now. Rob, how you doing? Do you want to introduce yourself and let everyone know your surname? Because I don't want to butcher it on the first go around. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Rob Blanchett. Uh, it feels like I'm at the start of a dating site or something here. Um, I'm a Celtics fan of uh, 25 years and I fell in love with Larry Bird once. And you also cover other sports for a very big outlet. So what is it and where from? Uh, yeah, my background, of course, is with Bleach Report and my real sport that I can cover every day of the week is football or as many people in the States call it, soccer. Um, and lots of my followers really on Twitter and my work are from America anyway because of my work that I've done over there. We're going to look at Tristan Thompson first. Um, I know that we was discussing this a little bit on the last podcast and I kind of want to dive into it more because the reason that the Celtics picked up Tristan Thompson with the full MLA during the off season was because of his defense, because he was a physical presence down on the block. He was a, an elite rebounder. He was basically the defensive version of Ennis Cantor. You put Ennis Cantor in for immediate offense. You put Tristan Thompson in for immediate defense. But the eye test is telling us that isn't how it's going right now. Who wants to kick it off with their opinion on what they've seen from Thompson so far? I can, uh, I can give my two cents first here. I mean, I think a lot of it, um, does have to do with a too big lineup. Um, so a lot of times you, you see their off court numbers, both Thompson and Tice. Um, the defensive rating looking better with them off court. And I, I think it's more often uh, the case that it's just beneficial to only have one of them on the floor. Um, so a lot of the numbers are kind of skewed to having two bigs out there. Um, and, and I think that that has, I, you know, Brad has obviously gone away from that a little bit as of late, um, partially due to injuries to Robert Williams or some of the big men being out sometimes. Um, but I think it looks a little more rough when, when you're rolling out these two big lineups and, you know, the perimeter defense is really struggling. Yeah, I, I think it's exactly what you just said about the eye test. You know, with this two big lineup, it, first of all, it's one of the things I think Brad's done over his whole time at the Celtics that I really dislike the most because it's not really Celtics basketball. It's not really what we want to see with the ball movement. It hurts both of those two players as well with Tice and obviously with Thompson. But like you said, you know, you want, Thompson to give you rebounding. He, he's a simple player in that sense that he's always going to try and get you eight to ten boards. That's what he does. But really, he's got to have a shot. He's got to be able to to score the basket in that position. And we're just not seeing it at the start of the season. It looks like he's struggling. So defensively, well, no, offensively and defensively, the team's struggling um, with this two big lineup. They're allowing 124 points per 100 possessions. And they're only putting up 104.5 points per 100 possessions. So that's a 19.5 point differential over 221 possessions. As you both guys have you, as both of you guys have said, a lot of that comes down to spacing. You've seen Daniel Tice start to shoot threes a little bit more, but not near enough at the volume 
to demand respect from the defences. They'll sag off a little bit, try and cut off the drive. And then what we're seeing is a lot of high ball screens, a lot of stagger screens, but they don't really, and Jared Weiss kind of alluded to this in his latest article, they don't really have the, the guard personnel to pull this off without Kemba Walker, which is why once Kemba was on the floor against New York, you'd see them run that, that stagger screen and then Kemba Walker would hit that pocket pass and that's when we got probably the best Tristan Thompson dunk of the season so far. So you need a certain type of personnel to make this too big line at work. For me personally, I don't think they should continue with it once the team gets back to full fitness. But I do understand that this is probably the best way to make sure that Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice and Rob Williams all get minutes. Otherwise, there really needs to be a hierarchy put in place of first, second and third centre. And then you slide Jason Tatum up to the four. Or you see what Grant Williams can do for you at the four. Yeah, um, kind of with the whole Thompson-Tice thing, with, with both of them on the floor, um, the def- defensive rating is 122 for Boston, which is atrocious. And only Thompson out there with no Tice, defensive rating is 100, which is a great number. I got it. Uh, but we know... Did, did, this has been the problem, hasn't it? You know, with the with the two big lineup, is that these starts to games where they've started them, it, it's been a complete disaster when you look at the defense, the shape, everything that goes with it, all all the kind of normal things that you expect from a Brad Stevens team seems absent. But I get why he's tried to do it. I get why he's obviously bringing Thompson in, trying to find a way to play these two players. But it so hasn't worked. And like you just said there, now I think Kemba's back, and obviously the roster's more healthy. You, you'll find, I think, that Brad shies away from this two-big lineup as much as he possibly can. Do you guys think he goes back to the playoff lineup and rolls out Campbell Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then Daniel Tice, and that'll be his starting five? Because he had a lot of success with that in the playoffs. I just don't know whether he'd want to kind of cement that as his starting five for the rest of the season as well. I think there's a chance that, that Thompson maybe overtakes Tice. Um, and, you know, it also wouldn't surprise me if Smart ends up um, kind of back in a bench role, um, which I guess actually might be a little overclogged when it comes to also trying to find minutes for Pritchard and Teague. But, I mean, I think that's your closing lineup, you know, with, with Tice and Thompson kind of interchangeable. I think he'll, I, th- I agree with you. I think he'll go back to that playoff lineup and I think Tice will be the starter. I, again, I just when you kind of think about why you brought Tristan Thompson in, you're looking for him to really give you a double-double every night. That would be above his career stats, but you really want 10 and 10. That would be ideal. And as you said, you know, defensive boards, complete complete opposite to Ennis Cantor who gave you everything on the offense. Overall, is he going? is that good enough to be a starter or even a finisher on this Celtics team? I really don't know. I think when you bring Kemba back and you're trying to get that chemistry right again and you know, find a way for Kemba to be the number three guy when he really would prefer to be maybe number two. Again, that changes everything in terms of spacing and just the, the option and the pick and roll and everything that goes with it. So I, I think Tristan Thompson, I think we're going to see him sat on the bench a lot more than he's happy with. Yeah, I feel like it's going to have to go one way or the other because for me, Robert Williams needs minutes. If you're talking about energy off the bench, then the two guys that you really want to look towards is Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams. And they've shown a little bit of a two-man game in very small sample sizes so far. So then it becomes, well, what do you favor more? Do you favor Daniel Tice's versatility as an offensive player as well as a defensive player? Or do you just value the defense that Thompson brings along with 
a little bit of a post presence and a little bit of a roll presence. What made Toys so valuable last year was those low block seals. The refs are calling them now. And usually what happens is when they come in with a point of emphasis, they'll call them consistently for a month, maybe two, and then it falls by the wayside. So we might still see Tice, those Toys seals that we all came to love make a resurgence. But at the moment, he's not as effective as what he was last year, simply because what he did exceptionally well has been taken away from him. Yeah, um, when, when it comes to Robert Williams, I, I think that, uh, you know, if he's not playing well, I actually don't mind him getting fully cut out of the rotation. Um, I, I think that he mainly what he brings is, like you said, energy on the offensive end and a little bit of versatility with, um, you know, some flashes of passing to him. But he's still very flawed on defense. He still jumps at a lot of um, a, a lot of fakes. I don't think that he does a great job of, of keeping guys in front of him. Um, and usually kind of, you know, you see this with Wiseman too, uh, lets guys go past them and then just tries to pin it on the glass and NBA, uh, guards and wings are not really going to allow you to do that. So I actually don't hate Time Lord getting cut out of the rotation if he's just clearly not as good as those two other big men, which I think is very possible. And especially because most of his value in my mind comes on offense and, you know, the Celtics have two guys in the 90th percentile of usage rate and in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and then, you know, Kemba will probably lower those a little bit. But after that, I mean, you don't really have many other people that are initiating offense. So I would kind of want the other guys out there to be primarily making their impact on defense. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that Time Lord is flawed on defense. We know this, but I do think that if you need that energy presence, he's the guy you kind of turn to. He plays well with Tatum. It kind of works in that unit. It, it kind of rolls a lot better. But I just still personally haven't seen enough from Tristan Thompson. Yes, he's got a championship ring. Yes, he's got big reputation. He's a veteran, etc. But I still am not seeing, certainly in kind of the Celtics' best rotations, where he adds true value. Yes, he's going to get you boards. But he's scoring like that, that skyhook thing that he does. Every every game, I'm just kind of like in tears. I'm like, please find a different shot. Please do something else. Please find an assist every now and then. You know, just just your off if you have to. And I just think that it's it's going to be a continuing theme. I think this season where we're going to look at who's actually going to be the centre going forward. And I, I just think he's got to rotate all three and find a balance between that to be able to make those units work. Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing for Robert Williams is his. He is the most defensive, liable, uh, biggest defensive liability out of the three bigs. But at the same time, the only way he's going to continue to improve defensively is by being out there and making those mistakes and learning from those mistakes. He also has the high ceiling out of all of these three bigs at this point. He's the most modernized center out of the three of them. As Brendan alluded to, there is some playmaking there. He's definitely got an ability to grow as a short role presence, as a facilitator and a pull-up um, jump shooter from mid-range. And that holds a lot of value to me personally. And then I look at the way that the Celtics want to run their offense and with that rim runner, and you need that. Like, if you've got a bench unit of Peyton Pritchard, Jeff Teague, Shemi Ojale, Grant Williams, where's the athleticism coming from to play on the break? How are you going to punish teams off turnovers if you don't have somebody with the motor in it leaping ability of Robert Williams to actually get down the court and beat guys off the pitch pass. So that's kind of where my head is. Like Daniel Tice is great, but he if it was a lineup of say Marcus Smart's in that lineup too and the two starters are sitting for a period so no one's being staggered. So if you're running Peyton Pritchard, 
Marcus Smart, Javante Green, maybe Grant Williams and Daniel Tice. Where is your athleticism going to come from? How are you going to punish teams at pace? That means you're playing a really slow brand of basketball without a without a high level um, creator or initiator. Yeah, which which I think is why you, why you will see likely one of Jalen, Jason, or Kemba out there. Um, and yeah, as long as there's no minutes in my mind of Pritchard, Teague, and Time Lord on the floor together, because I just think that would be the worst defense I've ever seen in my life. Um, then then I'll be fine. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you know ultimately, like, like for me, that it's finding a role for Thompson that isn't just the kind of. Uh, veteran who's here to kind of make up numbers and to kind of give you what he's always given you if he did do that that would be fine but i still think he's not passing the eye test and that means i think for brad that will that will force brad to make maybe rotations that not all fans are happy with yeah the rotations are especially during this part of the season they're always going to be funky he's definitely an experimental coach up until the all-star break and anybody that's shocked by this obviously you've lived under a rock for a while because this is what Brad Stevens does. And you can't, it's kind of endearing in a way because he's like, I don't care about the statistical output. I care about who meshes well together. I want to learn who can run what set with who. It's very much just laying all your cards on the table and seeing which ones fit. Brendan, I do agree that they will stagger one of or two of Tatum, Brown and Kemba. But I also do think there'll be small stretches during a game where all three are sitting. And that to me is where the value comes in of having these high athleticism guys, Javante Green, Grant Williams, just because there's going to be a moment in time where all three of your main primary scorers, high usage guys, will be catching the breath together. It's just going to fall that way because you don't have that four star to add into that stagger rotation. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I actually think personally that, like, I think you could keep one on the floor at all times. Um, I think that, you know, you could, even if it was Kemba and then Smart plays that point guard for a while, or we've seen Pritchard kind of get a little bit of a flow with two of those wings. I don't know. I, I kind of think that you can keep one on the floor at all times. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. I think you can. And, and I think it's also really now to see what happens with Kemba Walker going forward, not just with the injury or the management of his fitness. But it's to see where he fits in in the bigger picture. So even last year and before with with Gordon Hayward, I think it was expected that kind of Kemba was like number two guy. So he was your guy, your point guard. You can you can do different things. But obviously we've seen the the rise of Jalen Brown, the rise and rise as I call it, hasn't stopped. And every season he's improved. And we, I think we all very much feel now that he's not nearly the number two guy, but he's almost there with Tatum that that he's one of those people that's going to lead this team. So I think that's where the balance will come. And, and you could probably keep Kemba in reserve a little bit more than, than before. Like we'd talk about starters or or kind of what roles you would do, use for Pritchard or, or Marcus Smart. But it's it's just the rotations. And like you said, Brad does do this. This is what Brad Stevens does. He will... He'll chop and change. He'll try and find a way. And I think he has trust in his younger players that maybe not all fans always have. Yeah, and there's a notion, there's a narrative out there that Brad isn't, doesn't play the young guys. And my outlook on that is Brad doesn't play young guys that are defensive liabilities. Romeo Langford got time through defense. I said this on the last podcast. I said it on Twitter today. If Romeo, sorry, if Aaron Neesmith wants to earn minutes and get his offensive looks, then he will earn those those looks with defense. He will earn his time with defense and with court time becomes 
opportunities to continue growing and opportunities to figure out scoring against NBA talent. So there's definitely avenues for these young guys to make inroads into the rotation. It's much more difficult because of the players that are in front of them. Talking of a young guy that's got already in the rotation is Grant Williams. I've seen several people now start to say, what would the starting lineup look like with Grant in at the four? I'm not sure I'm happy with that. I understand that he brings defense, he brings IQ. But realistically, is Grant Williams the best option to run at the four if you're going to have Tatum and Brown as the two and three with Kemba at the one and then Tristan Thompson or whoever at the five? Um, I, I think that, you know, you can get some minutes there. I, I think that what I'm missing a little bit with, with Grant this season was um, is him getting some run at the five. And it's because there's so many centers on this team now that, that you're not going to see it as often. Um, but I, I mean, I, I get he's a little undersized there, but I think there's there's matchups where he was ideal at the five. And it, it does suck a little bit that you're not going to see that with, you know, having three other centers out there as well. Um, and, and yeah, he's a little slow for the perimeter uh, as a four sometimes. Um, but but they are, you know, have a lot of emphasis this year on protecting the rim, obviously, and being more willing to give up that corner three if it's going to mean um, opponents shooting worse at the at the rim, which obviously Grant is a good uh, weak side and, and off ball uh, defender. So I, I think there is some value at the four. I wish that we got a little more run at the five, though, which I just don't think is going to happen with all the centers on the roster. But it's like you were just saying there as well, you know, can we see him as a starter? You know, does, does he really kind of fill you with confidence there? Uh, we know he can do three or four different things well, but overall, as a starter in that unit, is he really going to add value? I don't know. I just think I think the jury's out on Grant Williams. Uh, you know, I can almost see him being a kind of tradable piece going forward. Uh, I, I agree as well. What you said there, I think when Celtics go small as a center, I, I like it when he does that. I think he kind of gives you something. As a starter, I don't know. Do you, do we rate him above Semi Ojale in in certain function and form? And you know their shooting percentages are almost identical. So you know it's kind of like which way do you lean? Uh, I just think Grant as a starter just just doesn't work for me going forward throughout the season. I mean, I definitely hold Grant Williams in a higher regard than Shemi, uh, simply because of IQ. I do prefer him playing as a small ball five. He spent thirty five percent of his time on the floor last season at the five compared to 5% of the season at the five. So, like, look, if he's on the perimeter, he can get cooked. He's a liability, especially if somebody runs like a corner pick and roll and he's the guy that's defending the the ball handler or he's tasked with switching onto the ball handler and then staying in front of them. He doesn't have that lateral quickness that he really needs. But on the other hand, he has the IQ that he knows when to hedge, he knows when to dig, he knows when to kind of help. He never... But he has overhelped quite a bit as well over the last few games, uh, over his entire career, actually, to be fair. I don't think he's good enough yet to be a regular starter because there's too many really good fours in the league and threes, actually, that if he gets switched, he's going to get cooked against starting level offences. But I understand that he does give you versatility. He's a little bit... like I trust him shooting the three a bit more than I trust Ty shooting the three. And he's strong enough to hold his own setting screens. He's definitely a viable post-entry option and he can facilitate out of the post quite well. So I do see the positives, but I think if Grant Williams is your starting four, then that should like really prove the hole that you've got at that position and the need of an upgrade. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, obviously he was brought in and kind of touted as a defensive prospect, but a little bit of a lack of lateral quickness at the four um, does mean some struggles there that I think, you know, you didn't see quite as much during his time at college. And then he's just been so looked at and, and preached as one of the best shooters in practice all the time. Right. And then you saw him obviously go terribly cold at the start of his rookie year. And this season, he's only shooting 31%. Um, It's only 10 games. But, you know, I mean, that on the offensive end would obviously be huge for him. And it's like, okay, if he's apparently this great shooter in practice, like, is that ever going to actually translate? Because I do think he has a decently well-rounded offensive game as just, you know, the fourth option out there that when the ball gets swung to him, he can attack a closeout and, you know, throw a lob pass decently. And, And like you said, just be a high IQ guy on that end of the floor. But, uh, he, he would definitely be great if this supposedly great three-point shot would actually show up in games. I feel like I've never seen it, ever. I don't think, I, I, know, I know he can shoot a ball now and then, but, you know, this kind of reputation that he had from before that he brought in uh, when he came to the Celtics, there, there just doesn't seem to be anything there in terms of the confidence of, of shooting it. Or like we're just saying there, you know, in his starting lineups, if you were going to have, say, him and Tice together, and they're your options for kind of your surprise threes, it, it doesn't fill me with confidence at all. And that's why I, I might actually lean towards Semi, just in the sense that I think uh, this year he has shot the three better. He looks more confident. He looks a more rounded basketball player than he has done at any other point in his career. And he's just got those extra years on Grant. Grant, I think, can still be a, a good, versatile player, but I really don't see him being a starter at this Celtics team. Yeah, I mean, coming out of college, he was more of a post player for me, like that. And then he kind of had to learn how to shoot the three. It wasn't something he was asked to do much in his collegiate career. So when he went, what was he, 0 and 25, like to begin his career or something stupid like that, then I was okay with that because I was like, this guy's obviously figuring it out. He's finding his range. When it's semi Ojale, for me, semi is great. But what I kind of preach to everybody is, We've seen this from Shemi Ojale before. We've seen him have really high games and put together a stretch of really solid basketball. And then that inconsistency creeps back in. And before, and then he has games like he did against New York. And you, you hope it's an outlier because you've had that good stretch leading up to it. But what you find out is that stretch is actually the outlier. And now you're back to real Shemi Ojale. And I hope that isn't the case. I hope I'm proven wrong. But at this moment in time, I still think his inconsistencies for me, mean he should still be a late rotation piece rather than being a starter's discussion. Just simply because I just don't trust him to do it consistently at this point in time. Yeah, I'm with you right now. Um, But, uh, I mean, I, I don't mind while the roster is limited and injured because I, I do think that eventually, you know, it's Kemba and Smart there or maybe even Romeo sneaks his way into the starting lineup. And, I want Romeo to. Yeah, I, I really like that, and I think JT slides to the floor. Um, so I, I don't mind Shemi getting a little bit of a run. Like I, I'd prefer Shemi starting at the four compared to Tice probably, um, with, with this double big lineup outside of, you know, a couple outlier matchups. Um, but yeah, to see if he can keep this up, but I do probably feel like it's an outlier for, for the reasons that you said, but hopefully not. So are we in agreement that we'd rather not see Grant Williams as a starter and possibly Nazi Shemi as a starter either, so it's going to have to be Tatum at the four. I think it will have to be Tatum at the four going forward, like deeper into the season. And, and 
I said, when you look at those two players, they're not starters. They're not going to give you a ton of upside. You know, one thing we'll say about Shemi is that he has started to drive the ball a little bit more. And that's, that's pleasing to see because people have been saying this about him for a long time. And that should really be part of his game. And it, and it isn't. It's just not there all the time. But this season, there's just kind of a, a small seeds maybe of a green shoots of him doing that. But no, you're right. It, it, these two players, they're not going to give the Celtics the upside that we need. We're looking at being a, a viable playoff threat going forward. They, they, they want to end up in a decent position in the East. Uh, they're going to have to do something different in that position. Yeah, I think Grant could maybe work his way to a starting four as like the fifth best starter, um, but I, I don't feel great about it right now. Yeah, I don't feel great about it either. This is, I mean, the reason I wanted to bring this up was to just drive home the fact that I genuinely believe that the four position is the weakest position on the bench. It's the weakest position on the team at the moment. There are options there, but for me, none of them are viable options that should be on a contending team. I love Grant Williams, don't get me wrong. I think that he could become a viable option on a contending team, but I never think he should be looked at as one of the top six or seven guys on a team that's in contention. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm definitely on board with, with Tatum being the starting four. I think it's the way forward. Which leads us to the Philly game. We're, we're getting somewhere now, guys. You've stuck with us this far, so now we're going to talk about if Philly game goes ahead today. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be Wednesday. The game should be today. Is it today? Yeah, it's today, right? It's Wednesday. It's playing today, right? Yeah, because it says Thursday. Like, yeah, it's okay. The time difference messed me up a little bit there. Philly's last game got cancelled due to track and trace and inconclusive testing. What I've kind of noticed the trend of is once one game's postponed, it generally doesn't, then the second game generally doesn't play. It's usually postponed to. I might be wrong there. I might have misread that trend. I might have not been paying enough attention. I don't know. This is just me making a guess. But if this game isn't going to go ahead, then that's possibly a good thing for Boston. An extra practice day. Gives Kemba another day to recuperate after his first game back. Gives Celtics players that may not have made that trip, maybe they, they're healthy enough to make that trip if they can pass their testing. If it does go ahead, though, and we'll operate under the assumption moving forward that it is going to go ahead, how are you guys feeling after that New York stinker? Um, I, I kind of am going to ignore the New York one. I, I think that it was obviously a, a low-effort game, and sometimes shots weren't falling, you know, uh, Obviously, it was kind of getting Kemba reacclimated, and he looked, I guess, a little rough out there. But I was glad to see kind of some of the bursts there. I'm kind of going to ignore that that New York one, maybe for my own sanity a little bit as well. But I, I don't think there were any trends in there that are too worrying moving forward. Um, but when it comes to a Philadelphia matchup, you know, a team that is obviously great on the defensive end of the floor um, and does an amazing job hitting the paint and then kicking out to where they actually have good shooters now. I, I think it's a pretty scary matchup, actually. Um, you know, they're third in defensive rating right now. And obviously, uh, it, it looks like Embiid, um, the reporting I saw here, yeah, Sixers, Joel Embiid expected to play against Boston after sitting out Saturday with a sore right knee. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is one of the reasons that Tristan Thompson was brought in, right? A guy that um, can be more physical with Embiid on the block in the post. So uh, it's going to be a good test for Thompson, but I, I do worry about this one. Yeah, I was thankful that I was actually working the Manchester United-Liverpool game uh, because it clashed with the Celtics uh, and their horrible performance uh, against the Knicks. 
But I, I'm the same. I don't really read too much into that. I think with all the chopping and changing due to COVID and players sitting out games and one thing or another, that performance was always coming. You were always going to get one game where it was just completely stinks and it goes south, it doesn't work and it's finished. You throw it away, you forget about it and you move on. Again, no doubt, Philly are in a good moment. They're playing good basketball. They feel like they're kind of found a direction that wasn't there previously. But I think with the Celtics, you know, they've got to rise to the occasion and make sure they play more Celtics basketball and kind of put some more energy into it. And like you said there with Tristan Thompson, this could be his moment. This could be where we actually see where his his fit comes into this this roster and, and how he's going to be used going forward. My issue is that if he's up against Embiid and from what we've seen already from Thompson, is that it's not going to be pretty. I think we're going to be looking at already going back to the future and potentially having Tice on him because it's not working with Thompson. That's my fear, but hopefully I will be wrong. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to that New York game, what I've noticed and I've seen, and it's made me chuckle a little bit, but at the same time it makes me sad, is a few New York fans have called it the beatdown, have dubbed it, I should say, the beatdown in Beantown. And um, I don't like that because it's funny, and I never want funny names against the Celtics games. So I think that we should start a petition to stop that. Past that though, when we look at when we look at um the Philly game, for me it's intensity. I want to see this team hungry to bounce back. The results not as important as the the body language, the figuring out how to score a game. I want to see them attack the basket more. I think making that defense collapse, really putting them into rotations and forcing them to make decisions, and then punishing those decisions is going to be integral. Simply because, look, there's no, it's not. A total coincidence that Kemba's first game back against New York, things don't go that great. There's a whole a whole different change in who's ball dominant, who gets these touches, what sets are being run. They were um they were running sets that they hadn't run all year because Kemba's back, and then a lot of it was just free flow basketball. Try to feed Kemba. There was an agenda there that was beyond winning that New York game, and I'm fine with that. But you lost, and you lost very very badly. So now I want to see intensity. I want to see you fighting for every loose ball. Um, as you guys have said, I think this is a matchup where we're really going to see if Tristan Thompson does kind of negate the threat of your Joanne Embiid, your Giannis's, your Jokic's. This is going to be his first real test as a, a championship piece for the Celtics. But beyond that, I want to see how they work and get open corner shots. I want to see how they attack the basket. How do, what sets are they running? Are they running back screens to free guys up off the drive? Are they flash screening? There's a lot here that we didn't that we didn't see against New York that I want to see to see to kind of investigate where they're at. This is a very good measuring stick at this point in the season against a very improved Philly team under Doc. Yeah, um, like you said in in the Kemba New York game, uh, obviously insanely low sample size, but he leads the, leads the league in usage percentage and turnover percentage after that uh, one game. Um, so it was definitely just getting him work back in. And obviously there's a synergy that needs to be gained between him and, and Thompson, if he's going to be the one out there, or um, obviously he's a little more comfortable with Tice. And yeah, I think Ben Simmons is obviously a very uh, underrated probably piece of the Philadelphia defense. And my assumption would be that he's assigned to Tatum. And I think that, you know, we're going to need to see Jalen Brown really be aggressive in um, really making himself felt out there. We've seen him have these scoring outbursts. And then we've also seen moments of like, like in that New York game 
where you almost don't even realize he's on the floor too much. Um, so I, I think he's going to really need to be aggressive, especially if Simmons is primarily checking Tatum. Well, I think that's right about what we said about uh, about Kemba. I think this is going to be the story for the Celtics for maybe the next three or four weeks in the sense of how do you bring him back into this team running completely different sets and giving him the ball when he needs it. Because this team, you know, we talk about offense. So the Celtics have been fine on offense at the start of the season. We know it's the defense that's been the issue. But Kemba Walker coming back into your team, that will upset the offense. And I tell you what, it will absolutely upset the defense as well. So it's all going to be a bit of a mess. And I think that's going to be the, the story of how do the Celtics manage that. Because they'll be keen to get Kemba minutes and to try and get him back to being, you know, cardiac Kemba, the, the player that everyone wants to see. Or is this the beginning of the end for Kemba at the Celtics? You know, are we going to see that going forward that this team is going to be about Brown and Tatum, which I think that's how I feel it will be, and that eventually maybe Kemba becomes a, a trading chip somewhere along the line. How do you make him an effective point guard in this system as the Celtics are playing at the moment? I think it's a really, really tricky prospect for Brad because as much as he'll want to have the ball in Kemba's hands, He'll also be one of runner sets that have been working for the Celtics for, for the early part of the season. And it's just going to be, I think, a bit hit or miss. And it's going to make Celtics fans unhappy about maybe some of that. So we talked again about the rotations. They're going to be a little bit all over the place. I think when you're playing Philly, you know what you're going to end up playing against. You can't go there in a maybe preseason mentality thinking like, let's just try loads of different things because you'll get hammered by 20 or 30 and it will be a really bad defeat. Yeah, and Doc Rivers is a fantastic coach. He'll be making sure that these guys, his guys have really up for this game. It's definitely a revenge game for Philly in terms of coming in, coming up against Boston after what happened in the playoffs when they were shorthanded. I feel like they've retooled their roster really well. I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, we could talk about this for a while. I feel like Ben Simmons is obviously the biggest swing piece. The Celtics really struggle, struggle to contain any sort of dribble drive penetration generally anyway so then when you've got somebody like Simmons that can penetrate on ball off ball downhill half court he can just get to where he wants to get to on the floor just because of his size and strength and physicality I'm intrigued to see who they match up with him and how they handle it I'd hope it would be Jalen Brown just because Jalen's strong and for me he's the best on ball defender that isn't Marcus Smart I mean, obviously, you don't want to use Marcus Smart and Simmons because of the size you'd give up. So I'm curious. I hope the game goes ahead personally. I hope that we see two very strong teams, that there aren't too many COVID tests or the in injuries are kind of taken away. I'm not sure if Tatum's going to play. As far as I'm aware, I don't think so. I think we're looking at the after the road trip that we see Tatum again. I may be wrong there. I'm not sure. But I want to win. To be quite honest with you, that, that New York game was enough of a loss to... I don't know how people follow these rebuilding teams for years because I forgot how badly it hurts to get to get that bad. Yeah, I forgot about uh, Tatum being out somehow, somehow managed to forget about that one. Um, yeah, I, I think that it'll be a good test for Kemba as well. And, you know, while I said I'm just going to kind of ignore the New York one, the whole uh, beat town and beat down and bean town or whatever, like, I don't think I don't the like guys, I, I don't blame you. I don't think that the, the players will forget it. You know, I think they were all, already going to come into Philly with some good energy, but 
that should add an even more of a chip on their shoulder, you know? Yeah, let's not forget how great the Knicks have been for the last 20 years. Let's, let's first of all remember that. Um, they had their moment in the sun against the Celtics team in rotation, a team who, without Tatum, without the best uh, kind of uh, form of themselves, with a returning star who needed the ball in his hands, and they just so happened to win. I've forgotten about it already. It's not something that bothers me. I do think that looking at the Philly game without Tatum, we do need to see that Jalen is the primary ball handler, but somehow he's going to have to be ultimate in his two-way uh, best because he will be the guy that has to stick with Simmons and the Celtics in transition have just looked so poor defensively. That's going to be, again, I think maybe the story of, of the game and we're talking about maybe the subplots like Tristan Thompson against Embiid. Uh, for me, Celtics, are, it, it's a game that you almost expect to lose, even though we don't want that. You know, we obviously want to win it. But you look at the two teams, and it's not a case of form. It's really not about form. It's just about maybe where they are in that moment. As soon as you take Jason Tatum out of the starting lineup and that he's not even there on the bench, I think in this scenario, you're second favourites. Yeah, I mean, defending in transition all season has been rough, as you said. I also think attacking in transition has been rough all season. Again, Brendan made this point a few episodes ago, so I'm only rehashing what he said. I won't take credit for it. But it is just due to a lack of athleticism on this team. There's a, a bunch of good creators. Well, there's a couple of good creators, I should say. Some good shot makers, some good guys, some guys that can make their own shot, guys that can facilitate and score off of somebody. But in terms of athleticism, guys that can run the floor, get back and build out from the ball and run the floor and be an outlet pass threat. There just isn't many. And when you're going up against a team like Philly that do have that athleticism, that size, that power, you kind of need to really rely on your skill and your intricacies on ball and the sets that you run to make sure that you are getting guys open. There needs to be a bit more of a leash on this one. So you don't want everybody free winning all the time. You want to run a bit more, go a bit deeper into your playbook. But I understand that Brad Stevens isn't one of going to give everything away so early in the season too. So there's going to be a fine line to walk here. Um, no Tatum, that sucks. Do I think that takes the Celtics out of having a chance of winning? No. Do I think it makes it a lot harder? Yes. But we're going against the team with two stars in Embiid and Simmons versus a team with two stars in Walker and Brown. So we'll see which one's better. We'll see which one's better coached. And hopefully the Celtics will come out with a chip on their shoulder after I think that pretty much wraps us up. Has anybody got anything else they want to say? No, I think that's all I got. I'm thinking TPE. I know you guys might have already spoken about this and thinking about pieces and what you can do. And athleticism is absolutely, I think, a big key weakness for the Celtics. It's it's who the Celtics can bring in next. What can they do? Because I, I think that these issues we're talking about, when they're not going to be issues just for, say, 10 games. They could well be beyond because chemistry is a funny thing. And I, and I do think that the Celtics are leaning towards, obviously, this Brown and Tatum era. And, and, and I think the whole Kemba thing might, might mirror maybe the Gordon Hayward issues of when he came back from injury where maybe the equilibrium of the team was leaning in a different way and he just really wasn't getting the shots, just really wasn't his game. So I think that's a big question. I think you guys just asking you here about what you think the Celtics are going to do because I think if we lose this game to Philly, it's neither here nor there. We don't want to lose it, but it's a funny situation. Where do we go afterwards? You know, if it's, if it's taking Kemba time to come back from this really serious injury, you know, how do the Celtics find that extra yard, you know, on the court to actually become a team 
that, that we think are going to go the full way into the playoffs? I mean, I'm not too worried about Kemba reintegrating. He's going to demand the ball a lot more than what Hayward did. Part of Hayward's struggles of reintegrating was because he was such an unselfish guy. And I'm not saying Kemba's selfish, but Hayward was more than happy to facilitate for others where Kemba's value is on ball as a scorer. So I think that integration is going to be a lot easier for Kemba than it was for Gordon simply because Kemba Walker will demand the ball in his hands. The ball will find Kemba Walker on almost every play. In terms of the TPE, my biggest concern is using part of it now because of the hard cap where you have the option. My outlook on it is, look, it's a 28, 29 million TPE. You can go and get a very good borderline all-star or an all-star with that money in the summer and by going down the signing trade route. Or you can take 19 million of that TPE now, which would put you at the hard cap and go and get a serviceable player. Which one's more valuable? For me, the value is in biding your time so circumventing the hard cap and then bringing in another all-star to supplement what you already have. I just feel that if you break it down to go and chase somebody that you think can get you closer this year, but then you're missing out on a better talent in the summer, then that to me is short-term thinking, which I don't think Danny Ainge would do. I may be wrong. They may package a, a contract in there. You know, you can't take back more than the value of the TPE, but you can still send somebody out along in the trade. So they might package somebody who's earning 10 to 14, 15 million out to free up the entire of that TPE now, and then they could go for somebody. But then what style's coming for a return of, I don't know, uh, Christian Thompson or Jeff Teague or whoever it may be that you send out, you're not getting a star back. So that TPE for me is definitely going to be more of an off-season move than a, a mid-season move. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, especially when you consider the TPE outside of, you know, the MLE they'll have in the offseason is really their only chance to add a player of that caliber unless you were somehow trading Kemba. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think Kemba's going to be all too far from being viewed as a as a bad contract. Um, and then you have to attach other things to it. But yeah, with the with the finances of the team and, and Jalen and Jason obviously getting their money, um, it, it's going to be a while before you're really able to add another guy with that amount of money. So you have a good point about only using a portion of the TPE right now with uh, with the hard cap situation that that Boston's looking at. Um, yeah, I mean, if it were to be this year, you know, the guys obviously have thrown out Harrison Barnes a bunch. I think Aaron Gordon's interesting, even though I question his availability because I feel like a lot of teams have probably called and you've heard his name linked into things a lot and the two cents or the impression I get. And I think I've heard Keith say this. Um, if, if Aaron Gordon was going to be traded, he probably already would have been traded by now. Um, so I think there are interesting guys, but I do think you have a really good point in holding on to it and being able to use the full TPE. Yeah. See, I agree with that as well. I think, I think it will be held on to simply for all the reasons that you've just given. But why I think of looking at this Celtic roster and looking at where it is, I think the confusion between say, our top three guys. Because I think there will be confusion. Like as you said, I do think the ball will find Kemba because that's what he does. He's a ball-dominant guard. We know what he wants to do. And let's just say, you know, he's the guy that you put the ball to to shoot the three and get, you know, Tatum driving, uh, Brown driving to maybe open it all up a bit more. That has to kind of work. The synergy has to work. And that, that energy amongst the team has to be there. That's the bit I'm questioning. I'm kind of thinking throughout the season, does that become an issue 
in terms of just chemistry on its own? You know, is there is it going to be an answer to that until you can bring in that next player? And for me, it does feel like the next chip, as you said, will be later rather than earlier. Because I just think that's just where the Celtics are at the moment. Yeah, and don't forget, there's still the other two smaller TPs that can be used now that can get you veterans that can come in and make a difference. So I'm not saying that no moves are going to be made. I just think that the Hayward TP has way more value in the offseason. And another way to look at it was, look how valuable Celtics fans and like all of us consider this TP to be. Other teams will find that valuable in a sign-and-trade because they will be getting a TP of a similar size. So that's a bargaining chip during the off-season as well. But with the smaller TPs, you can go after a couple of veterans. Maybe you want to try and entice. I'm, I'm, I haven't looked at contracts here, so I may be wrong here. But you could go and try and entice a PJ Tucker. Or, I don't know, you can maybe... No, I'd like Ronda Haller Jefferson, to be quite honest with you, but he's a free agent, so it doesn't go in the TPE conversation. But you get the point I'm trying to make. So I'd much rather use the two smaller TPEs now, hold on to the big one to the off-season and have a little bit of bargaining power during sign-and-trade discussions. And if that means that the Celtics fall short this season, I, I never came into this year expecting it to be a championship run. Yeah, that I, I totally agree. And I think this is how I view it in uh, my other role as a Manchester United writer and a fan is that you've sometimes got to bite the bullet when it's just not quite right. And, uh, you know, that football club, it's taken us seven years to get anywhere. And it does sometimes take you that long. Now, I don't think the Celtics are that far behind, but I do think there's kind of the next piece, the future for Kemba and how does Celtics stick all those bits together to actually see how good Brown and Tatum will actually be going forward. Yeah, I think you're in a spot, you know, where you are positioned where you're a good enough team that if things go right for you or, or, you know, probably wrong for other teams when you think of injuries or who knows what postseason will look like with the COVID situation, um, you're in a spot where you could take advantage of a situation of a, of a good hand being dealt. But at the same time, um, you have a plenty of bright future. Tatum and Brown are only going to get better. There are other promising young guys on the team. Neesmith obviously still has to come into his own. Romeo, if he can stay healthy, can be a real contributor down the line. And some of these other guys, both the Williamses and things like that. So I think you're in a position where if you notice an advantage that you can uh, really capitalize on, that you could be a championship contender, but you don't want to mortgage any of the future to do that because more likely than not, your window is you know a couple years down the line. Yeah, which I wrote about like three or four days ago. So I very rarely plug myself on this podcast. Brendan tells me off for it all the time. Um, but if you didn't read it, please do. Feel free to tweet me with your thoughts. I wrote about exactly that, about not mortgaging your future and building for a longer championship window. Brendan, have you even read it? I have. And how dare you? I don't I don't uh, get on you for plugging your articles. I think you need to plug them more often. You do great work all That's the time. That's what I'm saying. You never t- I never plug them. That's what you get on me for. Oh, got you, got you. Yeah, you ah. do. You do. I'll start plugging them if you want. Yeah, I appreciate you. Um, this is going to wrap us up for the day. Uh, we've hit our allotted time as the usual recording time. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to head over to Apple, leave that five-star written review. If you don't want to leave a nice review, then please just consider not leaving one at all. Because if you don't have nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. We're going to have to figure out a three, uh, another level to this to this little yeah, exit. Include Rob, yeah. Yeah. Um I'll have to whistle the tune over the top or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um outside of that guys, if you have enjoyed it, 
the best ways to support us is through word of mouth. So tell your Celtics friends about it. Tell your Celtics fan family about it. Tweet about it. Retweet us. Get involved in the comment section. We're here Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, barring an apocalypse, at which point none of us are here. We'll be back again on Friday. I hope you've enjoyed the new addition to the team and Mr. Rob. Uh, I've definitely enjoyed it. Myself and Brendan have been boring you for months, so you're used to us by now. And uh, we'll be back again on Friday. 